0: of Clippercraft clothes for men and 924 leading retail stores from coast to coast present the world's most famous detective Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Our stories are based upon the character of Sherlock Holmes created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes is portrayed by John Stanley. Dr. Watson by Alfred Shirley, and the dramatization are by Edith Meiser. Well, here we are once again on the threshold of Dr. Watson's study. We find Mr. Holmes' genial biographer strutting up and down in front of his fireplace. Evening, Doctor, you look fit. The Christmas festivities don't seem to have got you down.
1: I am fit, Mr. Harris, very fit. Better than that, I am rather well fitted. A Great Scott Man, where are your eyes?
0: <laughs> why, Dr. Watson, don't tell me Santa Claus brought you a clipper suit.
1: Oh, well, why not? Just because I'm a wee bit uh, venerable doesn't <laughs> mean I'm antique. I still enjoy making a good impression, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: in that suit, it'll be the girls that go... <whistles> when you walk down the street, Doctor.
1: Seriously
0: now, Doctor, suppose you tell us what tonight's story is to be about.
1: Well, tonight I thought I'd relate how Holmes and I spent New Year's Eve off the Silly Isles.
0: The Silly Isles? That sounds appropriate, Doctor.
1: The name of these particular islands is spelled S-C-I-L-L-Y. They are located roughly a hundred miles southwest of Land's End, Mr. Harris.
0: Oh, what in the world were you doing there on New Year's Eve?
1: Trying to prevent a great maritime catastrophe. You remember what happened to the Titanic? You know what happened to the Lusitania? Well, the lives of those on the ocean liner gigantic were in even greater danger when Holmes and I went over the side on New Year's Eve in the year 1912. Uh, Oh, but good heavens. (laughs) There I go getting ahead of myself again. Suppose I fix us a Tom and Jerry while you tell our listeners how to start the year right in a -a clipper-tops clothes.
0: Fair enough, Dr. Watson. Millions of men like you will start the new year in a smart new clippercraft suit and overcoat. Yes, today more men than ever before wear clippercraft clothes, for we've sold more clippercraft clothes than ever before in our entire history. There's a reason, of course. The wise old American public, with its eye for value, has pronounced Clippercraft the most remarkable clothing buys they've ever seen. The reason for these amazing values is the sensational clippercraft plan. Concentrating the buying power of 924 of the nation's leading stores from coast to coast, it accounts for tremendous savings in manufacturing and distribution costs. That's why truly fine Clippercraft suits are only forty and forty-five dollars. Why Clippercraft top coats and overcoats are only forty dollars, and sport jackets only twenty-six fifty. Clippercraft values are downright amazing. Compare them with clothes selling for many dollars more. Dr. Watson, to return to the New Year's Eve, you and Sherlock Holmes celebrated on the good ship Gigantic.
1: Yes. sir. Uh, oh, here's your tom and jelly, Mr. Harris. Thank oh, you, careful, don't burn yourself. Yes, it was probably the most hectic New Year's Eve I've ever experienced. Nothing is as terrifying to a seafaring man as the thought of fire aboard ship. Panic, the isolation. Oh, but that's neither here nor there. Yes, let me see. It was the last day of the year, 1912. Its inception was sufficiently placid, I must say. A light snow was falling as Holmes and I seated ourselves on either side of a well-filled breakfast table. The flames of our seacoal fire reflected themselves cheerily in the generous coffee pot. The whole house was filled with the pleasant aroma of the stuffing Mrs. Hudson was preparing for our New Year's goose. Suddenly there came a frantic jangle of the front door (laughs) bell.
2: No, definitely no. No what, Holmes? Whoever it is that's pulling our front doorbell out by the roots, whatever his problem is, I'm definitely not interested. Yes, Watson, being the world's greatest consulting detective has its disadvantages. People always manage to get into difficulties at the most inopportune moments. Yes, you should try being a doctor,
1: Holmes. No female since Eve has ever decided to become a mother at a convenient time.
2: Oh, come in, confounded. Mr. Holmes? (coughs) Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Naturally. Whatever your problem is, I warn you, it'll have to wait till after the holidays. But it can't, Mr. Holmes. Close to 2,000 lives are at stake. I pray to heaven you'll be able to reach them before it's too late. Reach whom? Where? And what is this disaster you anticipate with such trepidation? The steamship gigantic, Mr. Holmes. She should be somewhere off the Silly Isles by midnight. We've been reliably informed that an attempt will be made to set fire to her at that time. If successful, it'll be the greatest disaster in all maritime history. Yes. In that case, I suppose I shall have to forego the little celebration I'd planned for this evening. Have to? Really, Holmes? You are a cold-blooded fish. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't believe you've met my colleague, Dr. Watson. Mr. uh... Uh, Pembroke. Reginald Pembroke. How do you do, sir? I'm chairman of the board of Floyd's, the famous insurance company. Oh, then your desire to prevent this uh, disaster isn't entirely humanitarian. Not entirely, but neither is it altogether, mercenary. There's more at stake than the lives of the passengers on board the Gigantic. If she goes down, the financial stability of the British Empire goes with her. Interesting, eh, Watson? Continue, Mr. Pembroke. You may not be aware, Mr. Holmes, that during this past year, there have been a terrifying number of marine catastrophes. Uh, Holmes knows everything, Mr. Pembroke. I am quite cognizant of the fact that quite a few of the newest and fastest British liners have been destroyed at sea by fire, storm, and uh, accident. Ah, they weren't accidents, Mr. Holmes, I assure you. Quite. The Egyptian star was destroyed by fire in the Persian Gulf. 800 lives lost. The Lord Nelson disappeared in a typhoon in the Indian Ocean. No survivors. The Southern Cross exploded and sank off the coast of Brazil. 1,200 casualties. The Wellington, the Lady Jane Grey, and the El Dorado all caught fire in different parts of the Pacific. Total deaths, over 2,000. The greatest disaster was last April, when the Titanic ran into an iceberg with a loss of over 1,500 souls. The public's becoming panicky about traveling on British ships. The ships of other nationalities are taking all our trade. Three banks, nearly ten investment concerns, where large marine interests have gone to the wall. Even Floyd is not too secure. But that is not the most serious aspect of the situation. Really? Good Lord, don't tell me
1: there's worse to come. Much worse, Dr. Watson. Those ships disappeared in many parts
2: of the world. They were sunk by diverse methods. One factor, however, was the same in each disaster. And that was? The cargo carried by each ship was gold. English gold. Oh. If it ever became known how much British bullion lies at the bottom of the seven seas, British credit would be badly crippled. As a matter of fact, the Bank of England has been forced to import a large shipment of gold from Canada. And it's only gigantic. Good
1: Lord, no wonder you're upset. The whole economic structure of the British Empire is at stake, Mr. Holmes. Nothing
2: must happen to the gigantic. What makes you think anything will? A cable. Was sent shortly after the gigantic left Queenstown. She makes a stop in Ireland on her eastbound voyage, you know. She Sailed shortly before dawn this morning. The gangplanks had been drawn in, the last line had been cast off, and the great propellers had begun to churn. Suddenly, the dockmaster noticed someone sliding down the ship's side on a rope. Some fool's climbed over the side. He's coming down on a rope. Go back, you fool. Go back. He'll be killed. He'll never make the dock. He'll fall in the water and be swept under the ship. No, no. He's pushing the rope away from the ship with his feet. He's swinging out. He's going to jump. He made it. Someone up on the bridge has seen him. He's calling to him. The chap picked himself up. He's shouting back. Happy New Year, people up there.
1: Happy New Year
2: in hell. Good Lord, I know the mantle. It's Smokey Joe, the firebird. If a gigantic do catch fire between here and Southampton, I'm a Dutchman. Smokey Joe, seems to me we've heard of him before, eh, Watson? Not merely as an expert arsonist, but a dangerous pyromaniac as well. They caught him, I hope, Mr. Pembroke. No, no, Mr. Holmes. Unfortunately, he was too quick for them. He crawled down a ladder and disappeared among the pilings under the docks. So, the Gigantic is headed for Southampton with a nice bit of Joe's handiwork aboard. You think it's a firebomb, eh, Holmes? Not necessarily, Watson. There are many ingenious ways of starting a fire, you know. Whoever hired Joe would prefer to have it happen well out to sea, I imagine. Our thought exactly, Mr. Holmes. We've wireless Captain Brooks to make a search, of course, but on a ship the size of the Gigantic it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. You are our one hope, Mr. Holmes. If only you couldn't get on board in time. And how do you suggest I go about that little assignment? The chairman of the Great Western Railway has placed the royal train at your disposal. All other traffic will be cleared off the tracks. Now, you should reach Land's End shortly after lunch. My yacht, the Albatross, will be waiting for you at at and Ives. It's a very speedy little craft, and with any luck, you should sight the gigantic around 11 o'clock tonight. Yes, 11 o'clock. Was it Smoky Joe called out? Happy New Year in hell. It won't be New Year till midnight. If we reach the gigantic by 11, we may just possibly be in time. found this fog, we've had to reduce our speed to half.
1: Oh, we'll never catch up to the gigantic now, Holmes. Nonsense.
2: She's had to slow down, too. I only hope we don't miss her entirely in this fog.
1: I don't really care. You don't sound any fit, Watson. What's up? You have to use that unfortunate
2: expression. <laughs> and tell me you're feeling squeamish.
1: Is this confounded role? I can stand a good brisk sea, but this... Bobbing about in a teacup.
2: Pity I didn't bring the Mother since seasick pills. Oh, Mother bad. There's only one
1: remedy for this sort of thing. What's that? Staying on shore. Jolly way to spend New Year's Eve, this is. <laughs> Who do you suppose is responsible for these confounded sinkings, anyway?
2: Mr. Pembroke seems to feel it's a foreign plot. The Middle East European shipping industries benefit the most, of course.
1: Holmes, did you hear that?
2: I joke, yes.
1: Sounds like an ocean liner right enough.
2: Yes, we're signaling her.
1: Scott, there she is, the gigantic looming out of the fog. Looks like a mountain coming
2: at us. there! Yes, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson coming aboard. Let down a ladder. Watson, think you can manage it? I'd
1: climb up the Eiffel Tower on a clothesline if you would get me off this bouncing shell.
2: Quite an impressive array of instruments you have up here on the bridge, Captain Brooks. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Homer Gigantic, we have the latest of everything. And none of it's any real use in case of fire. I'd soon face a typhoon or a shipwreck or a mutiny even, dog rat it, than a fire on board ship. Uh, surely a ship this size should be fairly fireproof. That's what you might think, Dr. Watson. But there are three factors that make a fire on a luxury liner dangerous. First, there's all the confounded ornamental woodwork that's used in a passenger construction. Second, there's the fact that once a fire gets a firm hold, it's fed by drafts that rush through the ventilating system. And third, there is the element of panic. Nothing makes people behave more like wild beasts quicker than the cry of fire. In case of fire, you have, of course, an alarm system. We have the old-fashioned system of bells, and also something rather recent. The Gigantic is one of the first ships to install it. You see that glass case over there, gentlemen? Uh, The one with
1: a lot of tubes entering from below. Looks rather like a giant honeycomb, eh, Holmes?
2: Each of those tubes leads to a separate compartment of the ship. The instant a fire breaks out anywhere... Smoke is immediately drawn into the glass case. I have stationed a sailor to watch that case. Believe me, gentlemen, the first wisp of smoke. We shall know it. Yes, undoubtedly very helpful, Captain Brooks, in the case of an ordinary conflagration. But I assure you, a fire set by Smoky Joe is not ordinary. He's a master arsonist. Ten seconds after one of his fires breaks out, you're dealing with a raging inferno. Oh, come down, did they tell me the man deserted this at Queenstown? That news this morning. Well, that's more than 18 hours ago. If he'd set fire, it, it seems to me that we'd be in flames by this time. Not necessarily. There are many methods by which a fire can be made to break out long after the pyromaniac has left the scene of his crime. You say you found no type bombs, no inflammable acids? No, Mr. Holmes. Ever since I received word that we were in danger, I've had my men searching high and low. They found nothing, absolutely nothing. It's been a systematic search, I promise you. Yes, but you've drawn a blank. That's what comes of using system instead of brains and initiative. Oh, uh-huh. And how do you propose to locate whatever it is we can't find? By using a little logic. Hmm. I shall credit Smokey Joe with having the intelligence to place his fire-starting device in the place where it'll do the most damage. The man's no amateur, Captain. He knows his business. Then I shall investigate that place and remove his handiwork.
1: Holmes, you're
2: bragging again. Not at all, my dear Watson. I think I may promise I shall have discovered the menace instead of half an hour. I only hope Joe's little device doesn't do its nasty job before then. Half an hour. Now at 11.30 exactly. You think you can solve this problem by midnight? Yes, Captain. With any luck, I think I can promise you a placid and uneventful new year. Captain Brooks? Yes, Mr. Brown. What seems to be the trouble? The wireless engineer, sir, wishes to report something's wrong with his apparatus. Both the sending and receiving equipment have suddenly gone out of commission. I don't like that. What does he think is... Pardon me, Captain. Can you come here a minute? Excuse me a moment, gentlemen. The wheelsman is calling me. What's the trouble, Jerry? It's the compass. It's spinning like a top. I can't figure out what's got into it. Never seen a light except once in some magnetic storm. Great, Scott, this is incredible. Now what? It's the engine room calling, Captain. I'll take it. Hello? Yes, Captain Brooks speaking. The blazes, you say? Well, do the best you can. Seems to be the difficulty, Captain. The dynamos are slowing down. They can't figure out why. Good Lord, sir. That's why the lights are getting dim. Blazes with the lights. Without dynamos, we've no forced draft for the furnaces. We'll never keep up enough steam pressure to drive the ship. In no time at all, we'll be drifting helplessly in the Atlantic, in the middle of the reefs that surround the Silly Isles.
1: It's jolly way to spend New Year's Eve,
2: eh, Holmes? It could be worse, you know. How? The ship could be on fire. That's the real menace to which these other threats are but the prelude, I fancy. Hmm, for the love of heaven, what are we to do? Keep calm and use whatever intelligence the Lord has endowed us with. Captain Brooks, I suggest you and as many officers as you can spare join the holiday celebration that's undoubtedly going on in order to keep discipline in case there's any disturbance. Very good, Mr. Holmes. There's a New Year's dance going on in the large ballroom. It's on the sea deck. And meanwhile, if you could spare us someone to guide, Watson and myself. Oh, of course. And Mr. Brown here is our purser. He knows the ship as well as anyone aboard. I'm sure he does. Very well, Mr. Brown, if you'll lead the way, I think Dr. Watson and I would like to go below. And investigate the engines? No, Mr. Brown, even lower than that. What we're looking for is that to be rather close to the furnaces, I imagine. <laughs>
1: The stairs go round and round to make me dizzy. Maybe it's the heat down here. Yeah. Yes, we're getting close to the furnace
2: room. If you listen, you can hear them stoking.
1: Grim way to a living, eh,
2: hey, Stop a minute. Where does that lead, Mr. Brown? That small corridor with a heavy metal door at the far end? Oh, uh, that's the bullion room, sir. Where gold is kept? Very interesting. Suppose we take a look eh, Watson.
1: I've always wanted to see those gold bars you hear so
2: much about. I'm afraid that won't be possible, Dr. Watson. Why not? Well, as you can see, the door is locked and sealed. It was done by the port authorities before we left New York. That door won't be opened until the port authorities unseal it when we reach Southampton. You mean that room in there wasn't opened when the captain ordered the ship searched for incendiary material? No, Mr. Holmes. But it's quite impossible for anyone to place a firebomb or anything of the sort in there. As you can see, the seals are still intact. Quite. These seals are intact, but are they the ones put on in New York? I doubt it. Let's have a look. Yes, interesting. Very interesting. These are not the original seals. Oh, how
1: can you tell, Holmes? They look intact to me.
2: Exactly, they are intact. But here in the crack of the door sill are bits of broken seals. But these seals are not even chipped. By
1: Jove, yes, of course. The original seals were hacked off and then replaced after someone had finished picking the lock and robbing the room inside.
2: I doubt if robbery was the motive, Watson.
1: Well, for what other reason would anyone want to break into a room full of gold bullion?
2: It all depends. What lies directly below that room, Mr. Brown? Well, let me see. Well, nothing of any great importance, Mr. Holmes. Just coal piles. The coal piles? Good Lord. I think we shall have to break the seals again, Mr. Brown. Here, Watson, help me. Yes. But the door is locked, Mr. Holmes. Even after the seals have been removed, we shall have to get the key from the captain. No time for that. Hand me my burglar tools, Watson. Oh, very well. But good heavens, you Can actually pick a lock with those things.
1: If Holmes ever turned deep, Mr. Brown, even the Bank of England wouldn't be safe.
2: Yes, that should do the trick. Now, if you'll help me draw the bars, Watson.
1: Yes, with pleasure. Well, there you are, Holmes. Now, let's
2: see. Yes,
1: black in there,
2: isn't it? Is there light inside, Mr. Brown? No, Mr. Holmes, I'm afraid not. Then we shall have to prop the door open. The light from the corridor will have to do for our investigations. Come on, Watson.
1: Holmes, that
2: smell. Phew. Strong and acrid. Like sulfur, only with more bite. Seems to be coming from this large tin. Suppose I light a match. Oh, fill Stop. Don't be alarmed. I know better than to light a match around a tin which is leaking sulphuric acid. I only wanted to know how much you knew about Smokey Joe's incendiary device, Mr. Ludwig Brown, spelled B-R-A-U-N, if I'm not mistaken. So you recognize me? Yes, that dueling scar over your left eye is rather a giveaway, don't you know? So you have found how we are going to set fire to the ship by having the acid drip through a hole in the floor under the coal beneath. The first shovelful of that acid-soaked coal that goes in the furnace and the hold of a ship will be a blazing inferno. Nothing could put out that fire. Don't you mean that's how you were going to start the fire? My dear, Mr. Holmes, you do not think we will let a small obstacle like the famous Sherlock Holmes stand in our way. listen to me. Don't raise your fist to me. I'll let you have it. Never argue with a Luger pistol, Watson. Well, that's the first sensible remark you've made, Mr. Holmes. I'm sorry to leave, but the stokers should reach the sulfuric acid impregnated coal in about ten minutes, I believe. So I must be going. This room will be a roaring oven once it starts. You'll be rather badly overdone, gentlemen. Goodbye, then. So sorry I cannot say. I'll feed us in. The door. He's bolted it. Even you can't open it now, Holmes. Shut up, Watson. Help me look for the opening. What opening, for heaven's sake? The opening that leads to the tube that ends in the captain's new fire detecting machine. It should be somewhere near the ceiling. But,
1: Holmes, I can't see a thing in this black hole of
2: Calcutta. You can feel, can't you?
1: Holmes. The wall on this side of the room is as smooth as an egg.
2: Confound it. If we could see for half a minute, it would... Hello, I've got something. Yes? Yes, a small grating here in the upper corner. This must be it. Now, if we can make a smudge of some sort. Watson, bring me a piece of paper. Paper? Where did I find a piece of paper? Then bring me anything I can burn. A bit of cloth, a piece of... Yes, by joke, rope. Bring me a piece of the rope that's tied around one of the boxes that contain the bullion. Very
1: well, if I can find a
2: box... Now what? I found it. Found it. they are not the type so tight. It I blazes can. with knots. Cut the rope, Watson. Use your pocket knife. Oh, very
1: well. <coughs> <coughs> well. There you are, Holmes. It's a short length, I'm afraid.
2: I only want enough for a smudge. Nothing like a bit of hempen rope. Holmes, for heaven's sake, you're not going to set a match to that thing in here. There'll be an explosion. have to take the chance, Watson. With any luck, the sulfuric acid fumes won't be too concentrated up here near the ceiling. Well, here goes. One. Two. Now, if we can persuade the rope to smolder. Yes, there she goes. Certainly makes plenty of smoke, eh, Holmes? The important thing is being drawn up to the grating.
1: How long before they come to investigate,
2: do you suppose? It all depends on the mental acumen of the sailor who's watching that fire-detecting machine.
1: Well, let's hope he's brighter than he looks. It may be my imagination, but it seems to me I can feel the metal flooring under my feet beginning to get...
0: in 1948 will cost you a great deal more than you've paid in other years. That's why it's sensational news to know that you can get Clippercraft suits in 1948 for only 40 and $45, Clipper Craft topcoats and overcoats for only $40, and sport jackets for only $26.50. And isn't it as good a time as any to decide to get the most for your money? You've every right to expect long hair, correct styling, good taste, comfort, and perfect fit. And you get all these, to an astounding degree, in Clipper Craft clothes. And you get them at incredibly modest prices. It's, of course, American production genius applied to the making of fine clothes that does the trick. It's the unique Clipper Craft plan, concentrating the buying power of 924 of the nation's leading independent stores from coast to coast. You get the benefit of this plan at your own locally owned store, the store you can trust. Selling expensive clothes at inexpensive low prices at the nation's finest independent stores is the great big idea behind the Clippercraft plan. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in
2: your city. These leading stores in the metropolitan area are proud to add their names to Clippercraft in your suit, top coat, and overcoat. In Manhattan, Saks 34th, Broadway 34th, John Wanamaker Men's Stores, Broadway at 8th and 67 Liberty Street. In Brooklyn, Abraham and Strauss. In Newark, New Jersey, Boulevard Men's Shop, Kresge, Newark. And in Jamaica, the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue.
0: Now let's rejoin Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, locked in the smoke-filled bullion room of the gigantic
2: How long did it take for them to get us out of here? That smoke's suffocating. Calm yourself, Watson. It can't be more than three minutes since we lit this smudge. Yes, I can hear someone running down the iron stake. (laughs) I can't hear a blasted thing. How do you...
1: Hello? Hello in there. Get us out. We're in here. Open the door. Phew. What a relief. How in Sunday did you two get locked in here?
2: What's all the smoke? No time for explanations, Captain. Stop them stoking the furnaces. Flood the coal piles with water. They've been soaked with sulfuric acid. Good lord. <coughs> Angar! Gates, stop the
1: firing. Stop the pumps in the engine room. Well that's that, Holmes. What do you suppose has become of that dastardly purser?
2: We'll let Captain Brooks take care of him, Watson. Unless I'm very much mistaken, Mr. Brown is going to wish he'd never gone to sea. Well, come along. Let's go upstairs and join the festivities. I think we rate a bottle of champagne. Well, to blaze it with the champagne. I need a double brandy.
1: Hey, bells! Let's see, that would be Midnight, a...
2: Watson. Happy New Year, old fellow.
1: Happy New Year, Holmes, and many of them. But, uh, don't you think you could manage to have them not quite so hair-raising?
2: And have you getting fat and project? You know, that'll be unhealthy, Not to say boring.
1: Oh, so now, it's for my sake we
2: indulge in all these horrendous escapades, eh? A it of logic, that is. Elementary, my dear Watson. Elementary. But here's the ballroom. Suppose we join the party. Fine, my dear.
0: Dr. Watson, that was an exciting way to spend New Year's Eve.
1: It was a bit too exciting, Mr. Harris, if you ask me.
0: Doctor, did they catch the purser?
1: Oh, they did indeed. Mr. Brown and five of his accomplices were thrown in the brig. That was the end of the disasters in the British Maritime Service. When did Holmes first
0: suspect the purser was the villain of the piece?
1: When he came onto the bridge and threw his overcoat on a chair near to the compass, whereupon the compass went berserk. Holmes was immediately suspected the coat contained a powerful magnet of some sort. And was he right, Doctor? My dear Mr. Harris, was Sherlock Holmes ever wrong? But come, fill your mug and let us wish our radio friends a prosperous, happy and peaceful New Year.
0: Indeed we do, Doctor. And now, Dr. Watson, would you like to give us a
1: hint about next week's story? Next week, I think I'll tell you how Holmes and I trapped a famous jewel thief right in our own rooms in Baker Street by the use of what was then...
2: A fabulous new invention, the gramophone.
0: The makers of Clippercraft clothes and 924 leading stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is produced and directed by Basil Ockren. With special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Be sure to listen next week to Sherlock Holmes in The Mazarin Stone. If you'd like to attend the Sherlock Holmes broadcasts in New York, see your local Clippercraft dealer, and he'll tell you how to obtain your tickets.
2: We're serving more than 450